Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise God. So um, we're going to continue talking about the intercessor and about how they are called and how and where they are sent. And this is uh, very, very important uh, for us to uh, get a grip on because many times people think they just showed up at a church or a meeting and started praying and you know, nobody ever stopped praying. They just keep praying and praying and praying. And so we think that it's on us that we just one day happen to come to a meeting and we got involved and that's how things go. But nothing could be farther from the truth. And uh, I think people, if people don't really understand how well planned out our spiritual lives are with God, uh, that he has called us to these things and we responded. And this is how really things get done. Praise God. Ladies, are you not out there? Miss Nikki? Okay. So, so this is the whole thing is that when people, you don't invite yourself anywhere, not in God's kingdom. You didn't invite yourself to be saved. You responded to a call in the spirit. And and we talked about this a little bit the last time, but these calls of the spirit are very real. They are you have been called in the invisible realm and your response has to register in the invisible realm as well as the natural realm. So you are called in the in the invisible. You respond in the invisible, but in a natural voice. And when you start to act out what God has called you to do, you walk it out in your natural body, in your but you're a spirit being. And the major work is still going to be done in the realm of the spirit. It's just that as human beings operating down here on Earth, we got to be somewhere physically. We have to use our voice, which resonates in the natural realm. And so all of the things, even though they are acted out uh in the natural realm these are spiritual transactions and the spirit of it has to dominate we've got to be more more um uh given over to the spiritual aspect of things than we are to the natural aspect of things even though uh it's it's a totally spiritual transaction uh it's being done for the benefit of earth and that's why god needs people to fulfill it because the earth, that's why Jesus came to earth, because the earth needed his help. Heaven was fine and, and the devil's going to do what he's going to do, but the earth needed a savior. So this is why he came as a natural man to fulfill all the requirements that God put on himself to, you know, uh, rescue us and redeem us. So God really is uh, fulfilling his own word to himself in everything that he does that involves us and anything else. This is God being faithful to God. And, and many times we, we don't really put God in it enough to understand that he's, he's the one who made up the laws. He made, he created the earth with certain things in mind. So he has to satisfy himself. That everything that he envisions to be done is getting done. 
So really, we 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 participate in it. We play a part in it, but we're not the major players in anything. And we're not the people that God has to please in any of this. Whenever he he answers your prayers, he's pleasing himself. Amen. He's keeping his word to himself that he would not leave us or forsake us, that he would not uh, abandon us, that he is for us. He's not against us. All of that is is coming from his covenant with himself. And then man becomes the recipient of it. The earth becomes the benefactor of it. You know, when he made a, a covenant not to destroy the earth anymore, through water, I guess the earth said, wow, that's a blessing. You know, we, we got, we can look forward to being around for a while. At least we won't be destroyed that way, you see. And so these are, are, uh, commitments God makes to himself within himself. Bible says because he could swear by no higher, he swore by himself, but he also swore to himself by himself. You got me. So then when say, for instance, God had the 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 mandate for Jesus to go and for he to be the intercessor in the savior of the world. And when uh, uh, we see this, what we saw last week in Isaiah uh, in verse chapter six and verse eight, who shall we send and who will go for us? That's a question in heaven sometimes. See, that's a question, you know, when when God calls uh, the different uh, ministry gift offices into the earth. That's a question that's asked in heaven. That's a call that goes out in heaven. Who shall we send and who shall go for us? Amen. God has to have somebody to raise their hand and say, here am I, Lord, send me. And so many times in our, our, our desire to please God or excitement about what God's done for us and, and we want to do something for Him and we want to assure that everything, uh, that, that's, uh, supposed to be blessed is blessed, that kind of thing. Uh, we, we just have this enthusiasm in us and we say, wow, God, I'll do anything for you or I'll do this. And, and that's you. You responded in the spirit to a spiritual request. And God needs people who will commit to that, just like he sent his son uh, to commit. And I think Jesus was the first one who responded that way. Here, my Lord, send me. Because um, God knew that man would fail. He knew that he would um, uh, make a mistake and need a redeemer. And that's what it was. And so from the foundation of the earth, Jesus gave his word that that he would pay the price for that. So the Bible considers him being slain from the foundation. That's why, because God's word is eternal. So they consider Jesus slain from the foundation of the earth. So he just was walking it out. As what we saw in the natural was him walking out the will of God and walking out the plan of God, walking out what God wanted him to do. And and as an example of a human uh, challenged by all of the things that humans are challenged by, we see Jesus in the garden having to work that through prayer wise, you know, and talk to the father about it and get himself position so that he could willingly continue to carry out what it was uh, that that he promised already 
So when he asked the father, you know, is there any other way? You know, if there's another way, Father. So really, God is keeping his word to God when he says, okay, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, there has to be a a, like an order and a hierarchy everywhere. So the father really is the final judge and has the final word, except when he gave Jesus a name above every name that put the gavel into Jesus's hand. So he becomes king and Lord of all through inheritance from the father because of his obedience to do everything he did. And so uh, God is shows his faithfulness. It's like, well, you know, he's God. He could make up another way. You know what I'm saying? He's God. I mean, who could complain against him? He could. See, that shows you his integrity. And I say that to say that same integrity upholds everything he's promised you he's going to do for you. See, it promised it, it upholds everything. His word, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, uh, cheat on his word to himself any more than he would cheat on his word to you or me or anybody else. He got to uphold his word. And so <clears throat> when we talk about God's integrity, that is what carries us through as believers. It's God's integrity in us, uh, for, for the things that we've committed to do for him. So when when we commit to do something for the Lord, you're not doing it as a a human being in your own strength with your own ideas and your own power. You're doing it as a a um, uh, a partner with God and someone that God has taken all your weakness, all your sin, all your not wanting to do stuff, all your laziness. He's taken that and nailed it to the tree. And that allows you to have the benefit of the God likeness that he affords you by your spirit man. So you don't have to worry about if God sends you to do something. The Bible says no soldier goes toward his own expense. You don't have to worry about the money. You don't have to worry about the people. You don't have to worry about anything because God certainly will supply those things to us. And he's not depending on even our integrity to make sure we carry things through he just tells us to do things by faith in other words you make the first step and i'll take it from there all i need you to do is get up and move toward what you're supposed to be doing and i'll do the rest from there amen and this is the wonderful thing about the will of god the assignment of God and the things that God has given us to do as believers, we don't have to be concerned about cost as far as material things or ability. Can we do it? Do I have, do I know enough word? Do I know enough this? No, you don't know enough. And you never will know. He's not looking for your little knowledge to come in there and try to run stuff. What he's looking for is somebody who will totally depend on him. And all he needs is for somebody to stick their hand up and say, here, my Lord, send me. He needs a breathing volunteer down here on earth. 
so that he can have a body to put his spirit inside of. He needs a body to put his word inside of. He needs a body to drive to the place to get there and move from place to place. That's all he needs. And so when we look at it that way, it's really kind of not that hard. You know, when you think about the reality of it, and you'll hear people complain about things and whine about, oh, I didn't want to get up this morning. Well, you got up, so, you know, enjoy it. Be pleasant in your getting up, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and just not fall back into the flesh. You know, this is what we do. We start out great in the spirit. And then after a while, that little something will tap on your shoulder and tell you what you could be doing instead of doing what God called you to do. Amen. It tells you the money you could be saving. You know, you don't have to drive that far to get to the corner church. You could just run around there and do whatever. You know, all that kind of stuff. You're going to get that throughout your life. But it's important to stay on the assigned thing that God's assigned you to do. Amen. Because it's only in the assignment is that you will, number one, please God. Number two, be fulfilled yourself because you're going to run and you start working against God. You're going to run into interference you never knew existed before. Amen. And so this is the thing about it. You know, we, we have to realize that when we do our voluntary service to the Lord, we've only done what's expected. It's not a big deal. I know Christians for years, I remember people would say, well, uh, intercession, that's hard. And I said, do you, do you pray? Are you an intercessor? I would get excited. You an intercessor? No, no, no. I don't think you talking something you don't know anything about. You going to tell somebody something hard. You don't even do it, you know? And you know, you find people all kinds of ideas and attitudes and misinformation out there. Uh, you know, they put you on misinformation, the, the, Church people put you on misinformation overload. Amen. They have to come and pull you out with an ambulance. Listen to to, to the saints and make you nuts, honey. And so you have to understand this, that God wants us to obey him, to work for him, to do all of those wonderful things. But it's all being done with his power. All with his power. I was reading about some of the people that that had. you know, early church servants and, and uh, early church fathers, you know, you can call them and important figures in the early church. And what they faced when they would would uh, confess Christ uh, in Rome, uh, you know, in Rome ran everything. You know, you were you either Roman citizen or trying to be one, you know, if you lived on the earth. But uh it when people would get baptized where they would be, you know, become converts to Christ, uh the Roman government would take their names down and confiscate everything they had immediately. They left them beggars, they left and left them at the mercy of anybody that was around them, you know. And so in and see we look at Ananias and Sapphira and we can't figure it out. But think about that. See, we never had a full picture. See, you never know what they faced to just get dunked in water in Jesus' name. You got me? They were stripped of everything. So that's why it was important for people in the church to be honest about they were giving, about what they owned, 
and and they weren't compelled to give anything. It was all voluntary. Like Peter said, when when you had it, wasn't it under your control? What tempted you to lie to the Holy Ghost? Well, they didn't see the bigger pl- plan. They didn't see the bigger picture. They didn't understand what was awaiting some of them just to be known as Christians back during that time. All of the apostles were either martyred or or had been tortured before they were. They died. They suffered pretty much the same fate that Jesus did. Why? Because they had voluntarily signed up for it at the Last Supper. Amen. This is the blood. This is my blood in the new covenant. Amen. They said the same thing. They said, this is my body and this is my blood. That's how we get to be saved. Those 12 men set up a church system that has never been taken down, can't be defeated. Why? Because they were all signing a new covenant in their blood. Amen. And their body, just like Christ was. Whenever you made covenants, you agreed to the same thing the benefactor did. And see, we take it as a free ride because that's what most of us get. Most of us don't even get a halfway persecution because we're scared to tell people about Christ. Or we can just skip right over it. If we ain't in the mood to talk about God today, we just skip right over that part of the conversation. Amen. And so these people are, are, are gifts to us because they made this covenant valid. Amen. With their own blood. And so when, when, uh, we talk about the voluntary aspect of the covenant, it's a blessing to us because we don't have to be concerned about quote unquote the shedding of blood unless it really comes to that. Now, if, if, if things got really heated in this nation, you know, now there are some preachers that go to jail here. They, they'll slap us in jail in a minute for nothing. And especially when God turns up the power in the church, that's when the devil really gets stirred up. See, a lot of times Christianity goes lukewarm because people trying to survive. Because they know what will happen if they go to a certain street corner and start saying the name of Jesus. That somebody's going to call the police and they're going to go to jail. Everybody walking around understands that. That there might be, you might be called on to pay a heavier price than just a little embarrassment in a supermarket or, you know, a little bit of, you know, at the Christmas party with the family, you know, and they ask you to pray and the Holy Ghost comes in, everybody gets scared of. You understand what I'm saying? And so there are bigger prices or big, bigger bounties to pay than the what things we are accustomed to. And when revival happens, that's when we're very exposed to the enemy. And that's when he's the angriest is when the power of God shows up. Now, as long as you just go to church and, you know, you pay your tithes or whatever you consider to be normal Christianity and you don't make any waves. Got me. You know, you you'll get by as a Christian. But will you please God? Because God's always looking for somebody. To get out here and do the things that he says the Great Commissions fulfill Mark 16, 17, and 18. Most of us don't ask anybody to, if we can pray for them or, you know what I'm saying. It just, the, the fire goes out real quick. 
and so it's it's always good to have have something that you can introduce people to Christ with. I had to learn to keep tracks in my purse. I had to learn how to keep prayer cloths in my purse. All those things because they are keys to open doors to witness Christ to people. Amen. Because it just won't happen out of the blue. It's like, you know, you just hear, you just somewhere and all of a sudden the open door comes. No, you got to have it faith in your heart that a door open every time you go out of the house. You got to faith in your heart that God is going to use you every day. Amen. I mean, every day. Not See, because if you put it off for another day, it'll never happen. Amen. It's got to be now or never. And so this business of of the intercessor being a volunteer this is you you are a professional volunteer amen you're a volunteer for everything that god is doing on this earth i don't care whether you think it's your gift or not or you're not comfortable with it it don't matter god ain't hiring your gift in fact he wants most of us to put them away so he can really use us amen he said i just call for hands and feet maybe a mouth you know keep your mouth shut just bless somebody get this to him tell him jesus loves you and run back to your house you know that kind of stuff and so really this is this is who we are as believers in in you know warts and all and misgivings and misunderstanding confusion all that kind of stuff we eventually work our way through it Amen. And we manage to do something that God can honor. So the intercessor is very important. People call intercession the womb of the body of Christ. And this is the place where things are born, where they're conceived, where they are, where they grow, where they mature and where they're birthed. You know, uh, don't get into this crazy stuff with people. I'm, I'm pregnant with this and I'm birthing this. You know, it just, it just doesn't, it, it makes it kind of trivial to me. I mean, that, but that's just me. But, uh, it kind of cheapens and trivializes because people have no concept of what that means. They, they you know, in, in, and if it's going to mean anything, let it mean something to you. Let that be your understanding between you and God as to what, uh, you know, what you carry. You know, most people who say they pray don't act like they're carrying anything precious. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, they blab all the time. They're always criticizing everything and talking about other people that pray and on, on social media condemning people and judging people and putting, putting the earth under judgment. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> Where do you get this stuff from? You know, and who did God tell you to announce this to everybody like this? You know, and so we have to be careful to stay, stay regular, stay real, stay committed, stay understanding of what God's doing in the earth as much as you can. Uh, and stay off people's case, you know, just leave people, let, quit wrestling with flesh and blood. Just let, let people be people. Let them have peace with themselves and, and not have you on their hit list that, that you want to get on so bad. So anyway, in Isaiah chapter six, we can go right back there again and start off again because this is how we all got here. Anybody who is in this ministry, anybody's praying for God, uh, and is assigned by God to pray. So what's the difference between an assignment 
and not an assignment. Well, assignment is something that you know God is holding you to. You know that you can't just not do it anymore because you, oh, I left that church because they didn't do this and they didn't do that. But you don't leave your, you volunteered for this. What's God going to do with your little hand you stuck up and said you want to help somebody? You know, it's fun while, while, you know, we travel a lot, have a lot of fun and all those things and, and we can put on, um, you know, meetings and all of that. There's some things that, that go along with it that you can make it out to be joyful. However, it's not fun 24-7. There's a part where you pay the price for this too. And and you're not going to be happy in your flesh all the time while you're serving God and working for God. So in Isaiah chapter 6, it says here in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, two he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims to me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken off from the, with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And so there is, with the call of God, there comes a sense of a higher level of living before God. I don't know how else to explain it to you. But if God has called you to work for him, there's a sanctification there where you are set apart to do the work. Now, people don't, you know, they don't perceive it all the same way, but it's there. It has happened in your life where God has set you apart. For one thing, you tend to take your prayer seriously. Uh, anybody who's still putting off prayer till they feel like it is not really responding the right way. I mean, the, I will say you're not called, but, you know, at some point it should dawn on you. You just can't do anything you want to do when you want to do it when you work for somebody. I don't know anybody of you that has a job that you think you can come to when you feel like it and leave when you please. Amen. And that's true with with the things of God. And it's not like this is not going to be tested. Your commitment to God is going to be tested all the time in many ways. You know, God will test you that you you commit to love people and forgive people. I don't know why every time I come in here, I get into it with somebody because you got a chip on your shoulder that needs to come off. See what I'm saying? And God's going to get it off. This is how it comes off in reality, in real things. You just can't say, well, I love everybody and it never get tested. As a matter of fact, quit saying it won't be tested so much. The test is coming to you because of your own words. Amen. A little liar. You know you don't love everybody. We working on it, right? We all working on it. 
You know, I would never say I could just perfectly pass the love test. I'm working on it. Amen. You know, devil come up behind you and get some stuff started, catch you off guard and see where the love is. Huh? You'd be like, what's his name? Where is the love? Yeah, you'd be looking for it. Amen. And it's by God's design. You don't ever try to stand on your own power in anything that's God ordained. It's impossible to stand in your own power. Amen. And so we we have to concede these things. These things are true. You got to lean on God for everything. You got to lean on him to get you out of bed. You got to lean on him to get your feet planted on the floor and stay there. Amen. I don't know how many times I've started out of the bed and food and feet right back in there under the covers. Amen. So I need him to just get me to make the first step and then the next one. Amen. And so these are the things that that we we come to understand and accept. And it's the same thing about anything he's called you to do. It You're not going to perceive the weight of it all the time. It's not going to be like a heavy thing for you. Oh, you know, I got to get to prayer and and I got to pray and and I got this list of people to pray. But that's, you know, don't even say that. Don't even act like it's a burden to you. It's not your burden, really. You know, God makes it so that the light burden and the easy yoke still belong to us. Amen. When the Bible says, bear you one another's burdens, that you just take them as far as you go to your prayer closet and let it go when you get there. You know, it's not a heavy thing. It's just something you keep in your heart that that God wants you to do so that this person can have a better life. This is what it's about. It's about providing something better for somebody else. Amen. You know, and everybody should be over the days when you fell out with your prayer partner and didn't ask for another one. You understand what I'm saying? Let's just grow up here. This is not a game. Your life so depends on this. You have no idea how much of what you need depends on your obedience to fulfill the call of God. It just does. And it's not the preacher's job to do everything. You got it? You got a part to play. You you have a part here. You have a part to do. You have a part to play. And God is depending on you to do your part. He's not going to overload you because he knows you. You know, I've heard it all over the years. Well, God don't want you to neglect your family. I say, you mean the little ridge runners you got running over there in your house? You don't have feed, don't have clothes, don't have bathing, and ain't half there half the time? They in daycare all day long? You're far from neglecting anything to pray. In fact, you need to pray so you can take care of them better. That should be your first. Second thought, don't come to prayer. Just stay at home and pray for your little stuff you got right there. Nobody need that. This fictitious stuff. Little fake stuff. You think you're the first person God ever called to pray? <laughs> The missionary intercessor, Reese Howells, he was the man that prayed through World War II. 
averted. There were so many close calls during that war. Uh, one was that the atomic bomb was being de- developed by Germany and the United States allies at the same time. There was a race to see who would get their hands on it first. And you know the outcome. If if it hadn't happened that way, who knows where this country, if this would ever be a country now. You got me? And and so he was called to sessions of intercession. He was actually um, a, a missionary, but also a Bible teacher, Bible school teacher. And there were seasons where he would be missing from the school and would be in seasons of intercession and fasting and praying and and not much else. And there came a day where God called him to go full time to a foreign country. And he so was devoted so to God, God told him, he said, he said, I got to he would give him sacrifices that he wanted him to make over the years. He would say, I want you to he would tell him to do things like I don't want you to give in to vanity on any. He wouldn't allow him to get his hair cut. He he would only give him one or two meals a day, that kind of stuff. He this went on for many and he would get delivered of these desires. He would get freed up from things that would hinder him in his prayer life. Now I'm talking about a prayer life, folks. And there came a day he he got married eventually, but there came a day where he and his wife had to decide that they could not fulfill the call of God and parent their two children. Now, most people took their families with them. They never separated. But he had to make the decision to let another couple raise their children. Then he did it for God's glory. So don't let us get funny here, folks. You got me? There's real people who've given up real things for this gospel that we enjoy and we can at least respect their sacrifice to the extent that we don't trivialize what we're called to do don't put it on a low scale don't put it on a scale of something you can do if you feel like it if you don't feel like it you're not obligated you got me don't ever make god's work like that amen if everybody felt that way we can get anything done except entertaining people all day long. And we got enough entertainers out there, folks. We don't need any more foolishness. But we do need people who will commit to God and do what God has called them to do and be sincere about it. So when Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me, he would be sent to do many things in in the name of the Lord. And and we said that the prophet is always an intercessor. A prophet is always an intercessor. He must have a prayer life where, number one, he can touch God. Number two, he can serve God and he can obey God and do it in strict quarters and strict ways many, many times. Amen. Uh, Many times prophets were sent with messages and their instruction was don't stop. Just go straight with the message. Don't say hi to anybody. Don't speak to anybody. Don't get why. Why is that important? Well, if you're carrying a message, the devil would love to pollute that message. And he would love to scream. Oh, it's okay. I, I remember what God told me. Just go sit down till the next, till the next boat goes out. Amen. 
you follow very strict instructions. You have to learn how to keep words as well as blurt them out. Amen. And if there's a word that's not to be released yet, you've got to know that God does not give you the unction to release it yet. So we see here one of Isaiah's assignments in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse, um, eh, we can put, uh, verse 1, we'll do verse 1. It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it. So we see God's people now fighting against one another, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, and the trees of the wood are moved with, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord to Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, you and, Sh- and Shears Jezeb your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say to him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and of the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it shall not be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe it, surely it shall, you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spoken to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. See, he doesn't believe anything. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but you will also weary God? He says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he not eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose the good, the land that you abhor shall be forsaken of both of her kings. The Lord shall bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Syria. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they shall come and they shall rest all of them in the desolate valleys and in the holes of the rock and upon all thorns and upon all bushes. In the same day, the Lord shall shave with the razor 
that the head that is hired, namely by them beyond the river, by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it shall also consume the beard. And it'll come to pass in that day that a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep, and it'll come to pass for the abundance of milk that they shall give to he shall eat butter for butter and honey. Everyone shall eat that is left in the land. It'll come to pass in that day. And so here we see a, a prophet interceding with a message. And all messages from God are forms of intercession. When God speaks a thing, he is looking to influence people to believe it so that he can bring it to pass and if it, they don't believe it, it will come to pass anyway because God cannot lie. What God wants to do is allow this King Ahaz to participate in it so that God, he will know that God is with him. And this is important because many times God is with people and they think it's the enemy or they get confused and can't understand what God's doing here. And so Prophecies are very important to set it up with faith before it's time for it to come to pass. Like what we we are experiencing now in this earth is that God is moving to complete his work down here on the earth. God is is moving to fulfill his promise that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the seas. That's in play. And what we are seeing now is people, even though the enemy has done great damage to the knowledge of God, he shut down churches. He's caused great distraction to come upon. He's put things in our schools that we never thought we would see happen with small children. So he is sacrificing left and right everybody that he can to put his evil poison in the hearts of men to make people think that they're less than who they really are so that they would not believe that a redeemer has done anything for them. So he's trying to erase the memory of salvation from the minds of people. So they don't even think about praying for, you know, you see a cousin or somebody, you don't even have compassion on them anymore. Whereas I remember when we were new Christians, we thought everybody in our family was supposed to be saved. And we went about getting that job done. But now people are so cold. And, and the Bible has warned us about this cold love that that people will just go through the motions of loving one another or go through the motions of praying for one another. And so what we have upon us now is a counterattack against what God wants to do. But we have to keep reiterating in ourselves and in prayer and in the spirit what's coming. The whole earth is still going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The whole earth is still going to be filled with God's. The whole earth is still going to be filled with God's knowledge. And we watch how God uses that word so that he can have somebody down here who's still believing him. Somebody who can go out and preach and gather souls for his harvest. This is for him. It's not for us. He knows many times we want to get see people saved, but if it's going to cost us too much, we're not interested in it anymore. And so we're really what it, it really boils down to is that God has to raise up people who will consistently and continually declare his word, that are going to believe his word, that are going to believe that revival is here. 
that it it is happening wherever God says it will happen because we give him permission to win souls down here by what we pray. If we don't put that word out there, then God has nothing to bless the earth with. He's got to have something to work with in order for us to be able to get the benefit of it and for him to be able to get benefit of it as well. And so you want to do your part. I want to do my part. When we come together and we pray, as we we do at least once a week, and then those of us who partner with people during the week, we pray during the week, these watches have to be kept. Because if we don't do our part, don't ever think somebody else can do it. Don't even think about that. Because you don't have the master plan. You don't know who's assigned what, and you you just know what you're assigned to do. And that's if you can stay faithful and do what God's assigned you to do, that's 100% as far as God. That's 100% obedience as far as he's concerned. And so you, we we can't play down what we do. Um, it's not hard. God made it so that it's not hard. He sends an anointing that makes it easy. He just needs to have people who will stay with it and let the wind of the spirit carry them through what they are assigned to do that's all you gotta do is show up and so god makes it easy for everybody you know i i don't believe in a lot of this uh you know unless the spirit of god moves you to do that kind of stuff our our prayer watch is just that it's making known the principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of god you know there's some groups of people they believe in a lot of groaning and deep travail and you know if the spirit hits you that way that's fine but for the most part it's the word that's going to do the work see this is what what we found out over the years it's declaring god's word that's going to get the job done now there is a place for groaning in the spirit we will we'll go through a lot of these different kinds of prayer we'll go through them over again so that you'll understand that there may be times where a burden to pray for somebody will grab hold on a person if they yield to it but you still got to yield to it you got me and so this is this is what you need to understand that the declaration of god's word is so very very important it's so very vital uh to what we do as intercessors so we see isaiah was an intercessor there are different types of intercession uh definitely intercession involves praying to god and generally praying in a private setting or if it's a corporate setting with other people who are also on one accord in the prayer and so but there are times where god will pull you out of private intercession into a more public forum and i don't mean national day of prayer and you know this kind of stuff from from what i see there's not much praying that happens there they you know i mean if everybody i've been invited to them local ones that that you know that have been done and you know mostly people just talk and and want to want to get up and preach some and all of that and then the last five minutes they'll pray a little bit and so I just felt like my time was kind of wasted there. I, you know, if somebody invited me, of course, I graciously accepted the invitation and you just go there and you do what you can do, you know, and endure. And that's it. 
And so you, you understand what I'm saying. People, people kind of mean well, but I always say it's the wrong person leading the right thing or the right people stayed at home to get some work done. So you can look at it two different ways. And so, amen, amen. We all know that. We know the theatrics that go on and the pretense and, and all of that. And people get, they get up there to lead prayer and you can tell they've never prayed before because they all have nothing to say. They barely open their mouths and, oh, go ahead, brother. You go, you go next to you, all that kind of stuff. So, so praise God. But, uh, prayer is done most effectively, like Jesus said, in your closet. Amen. He said, when you pray, go into your closet in secret and the father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And why is that necessary? You don't need the distractions. Amen. Preachers have, we have to deal with them. You know, you got to deal with, you know, people with short bladders, people, you know, just got to run out and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's a distraction. You know, you got to bring yourself back into it so that you can focus on what you're saying. It's a challenge. And I thank God for prayer because there's no distraction there. You just go for it. You can sit there and talk to God. You can read scripture to yourself. You can pray in tongues for as long as you want to get up and go do something else. Uh, it's, it's a, a walk in the spirit. It's a time in the spirit where you can have that freedom to speak to God and to, to do whatever. It's an interaction between you and God. It, it, it strengthens your relationship with him. It's a get to know you thing. And he gets to know you, you get to know him. You find out what he thinks about how you're living your life, what you're doing every day, and, and he's gonna add more to it. He's gonna help you more. He's gonna, you find out all these things in the closet of prayer. Amen? Just between you and God. And then you have a corporate setting where they, like when we meet here, we do corporate prayer, and, and there's an, an access way to greater revelation, greater understanding, because you have more people on one accord. And God will honor that grouping together on one accord. And so, and then there's a point where you have too many people and you're not being effective. You got me? And so we have to kind of let God regulate our size, regulate our um, our tasks, what we're assigned to do. It's good to keep a consistent assignment. Don't try to switch it up. Well, we did that last time. I was thinking we could do. No, no, thank you. No, thank you. Let's just do what we're assigned to do continually. Amen. If you get bored, somebody with a devil will come barging in the door just for excitement's sake, you know, to keep you glued to your seat. But anyway, uh, this is this is the consistency of the watch. It's like a, a if for us to do something like that would be is it's just as inappropriate as the policeman saying, well, why don't I go shoot somebody because it's too quiet around here tonight? You got me? It's crazy. And so your watch will be what it is. It's supposed to be routine. Why? Because the devil has his routine. So you got to keep your routine and make sure you remind him that he can't go across the bloodline. You got to remind him of who he is on a continual basis because he gets carried away. Amen. He wants to think more highly of himself than he ought to. Hmm? 
See, this is this is the discipline of keeping a watch. It's like the the uh, patrolman, the street. They used to have cops that walked the beat. You know, they call them flatfoots because your feet, your arches would go flat from walking all the time. Amen. And uh, they kept the order in a city. You felt safe when you saw that cop on the corner because, uh, you know, things were uh, likely to get bad at any time. And so this is what what we do as believers. We're not putting our out fires that are out of control. You don't wait for things to get so bad that you feel like you must do something. You have kept it under wraps and under control that whole time. You're just reinforcing God's authority on the enemy. Amen. Instead of letting him get way out of the box, he's out of the box already enough with with enough things. And so we we have to answer that call as well, but also maintain a certain level of peace in the world. Amen. Uh, keep keep it keep the the nonsense at a minimum and keep peace at a maximum. So that's our goal is to maintain peace, God's peace in the earth. So David was an intercessor. If you go to. First Samuel 17, you'll see how he interceded. Amen. Without his ministry of intercession, there would have been no Goliath. There would have been no um, uh, lion and bear. All those experiences that David uh, referred to as he grew in the knowledge of God and as he grew as as a uh, minister and as a king came out of his life of intercession which you don't drop just because you get put into a what we consider higher position uh if you're an intercessor you work in the spirit so there's nothing higher than that amen and God is one who who can trust you with secrets you know uh, you know intercessors grow up and they quit running their mouths about everything you know so you quit blabbing so much and oh let me show you what god showed me today and all of that people don't care they're trying to get their rent paid and food on the table so they could care what god showed you but some of them polite anyway but but if god showed it to you he showed it to you for a reason a kingdom reason something that's going to glorify him and so and and be careful seeing things that aren't in the word. Amen. And dreams and visions and oh, I had a dream. And, you know, it's I, I, I would as a person I, I knew would always talk to me. God speaks to me in dreams, but they would always show me the dream and ask me what it meant. I'm thinking, what kind of God would talk to you and not tell you what he's talking about? But you know what? You can't. You're wasting your time. If you think you're going to convince them people that ain't God talking to them, get another thought, okay? Because they would rather keep their fake dreams and visions than to hear directly from God. You got me? So it's, you know, people just like attention. That's people, honey. That's people. So anyway, in First Samuel 17, you see where... We first really noticed David. This is one of the things that he was very well known for. In fact, this set him, this made him blow up, as they say, or go viral or whatever. But uh, here he is 
and he's doing something very simple, like uh, he has to take a meal to his brethren, and they are at the war, at the war, <laughs> at the war front. And uh, his father sends him on this errand. He's the youngest of all of uh, Jesse's children. And so Jesse sends him to see what, what his brothers are doing, take him a meal. And I'm concerned about my boys, you know, anybody could die in battle, you know, that that kind of thing, a, a family concern. And uh, it says here, and in, in, uh, the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together a succoth and that belongs to Judah and pitched between Sokoth and Azekah. In Ephesdemim, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, pitched by the valley of Elah. I'm sorry, this is 17 verse 2. And set the battle in array against the Philistines. So there everybody's lined up and, and you know, like we going to fight. And so it says the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Somebody says like 12 feet, 15, something like that. He's a big guy. And he says, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. It grieves the brass on his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders and a staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. You know, I mean, if he speared you, you, you know, it's like being hit with a cannon and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose you a man from you. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, we'll be your servants. You'll serve us. So instead of them having a battle where every man fought, this sounded like a good deal to everybody. You mean all we got to do is send one of us out there and everybody else can go home? But everybody was scared to do it. They could not find anybody because the Philistine giant was so intimidating. There was nobody and they weren't able to send an army. They had to send mano a mano. Could only send one man to fight the giant. And the Philistines said, I defy you armies of Israel this day, give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, David was the son of of, of Jesse, and he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. So the eldest of these sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that were in battle were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, and Shammah. And David was the youngest and the of the three eldest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So he wasn't even considered a soldier. 
he just, you know, I just, I'm just going to go over there and, you know, and then when it's time to go home and feed the sheep, I go home and feed the sheep. So his first call really was as a shepherd. He was not a warrior. And he said, a Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. This is a long time to sit up and listen. You know, anybody that talks to you and threatens you for 40 days has already killed you. You you understand what their words. Because if if you were going to do anything, you probably would have tried it on day one. After 40 days, he's worn you down so bad. So this is why all the armies of, of Israel were were afraid of him. Because anything you listen to exclusively for that length of time is going to make an impact on you. It's going to ruin you. Those words are going to intimidate you. And so this is the advantage that the Philistines had was mouth. It was not what that giant could do. He that he was as big as anybody else. If somebody could have hit him a good lick, they'd have killed him. But his 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 war was a war of words, and they allowed him to win. All they had to do was have somebody get up and answer him, at least give some words back. Amen? Amen. Tell me your mama going to be going to a funeral tomorrow, boy. What you mean getting up here talking to me like this? Just answer the devil back. That's the first rule of intercession. You've got to respond to your enemy with it is written. Amen. And you'll see that this was really all David did. So David comes in as an intercessor here because that's his main gift that he has to contribute to any kind of battle. It's his words and his relationship with God and his understanding of God's covenant. So this is the first first weapons that intercessors are given is the word of God. If you don't pray the word of God, you will not have an answer forthcoming. You won't you won't have an answer you want. You can't go into your prayer closet and say, well, God, you know, I need this. I need that. And never tell him what he's promised to give you. Your answer comes out of faith in him and faith in his covenant and your covenant with him, faith in his word. So the word must be declared by any intercessor. Any intercessor that's worth their salt is going to declare the word of the Lord. And so here he keeps drawing near morning and evening, 40 days. And Jesse said to David, his son, I want you to go to where your brothers are and take them some food and and, uh, you know, see, see how they're doing. And if they need anything, figure out what it is and give me word back. And it says here, now Saul and, and, and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Well, not really fighting, just there. Amen. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper. And took and went as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the trench as a host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran to the army and came and saluted his brethren. So it's like 
here's these soldiers a bunch of soldiers on one side and a bunch on the other and this little boy comes running up hey it's my brother here i mean that's just how non-fighting they were doing hey man this is like a lunch break and so he he says in 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 uh as he talked with them they're supposed to be fighting each other everybody's lined up david goes and starts talking with them amen just a conversation so he gets involved in the conversation that they are not supposed to be having because there's a war on i show you just how much war was going on and it says as he talked with them behold there came up the champion the philistine of gath goliath by name out of the armies of the philistines and spoke according to the same words and david heard them and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. So here's pretty much David standing there and this giant standing pretty much next to him because everybody else has gone home. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? <laughs> have you seen him? He's come to defy us. Surely he has. And it shall be the man who kills him. The king will make it rich. Blah, 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 blah. And David gets wind of the conversation. So here we used to have what we thought was a real battle going on, except nobody's fighting. And a little boy comes up and tells, wants to talk to his brothers. That's just how engaged they were not. So there's nothing going on until somebody has to show up to get the fight on. And that's the intercessor. That's who David is in this whole thing. He is an intercessor. And you'll see as as we look at this how the intercessor is able and equipped to carry the whole battle all the way through to the end. Amen. Why don't we stop here? Father, thank you for your word and for understanding. And Father, we thank you that we are, are here to intercede for your people. There are many, many needs, Lord, that uh, we need to address here. So we're going to pray going to ask God to intercede and raise up more watchmen, raise up more intercessors, raise up more people who can carry uh, this this uh, battle on to its rightful conclusion. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that, that we are your people. We're called by your name. And we thank you, Father, as we humble ourselves and pray and seek your face, turn from our wicked ways, then you hear from heaven and you forgive our sins, first of all, and you heal our land. And Father, I thank you that this is a continual process, the forgiveness of sins, the healing of our land, forgiveness of sins, the healing of our land, the forgiveness of sins and the healing of our land. And we thank you for that. Father, we pray for uh, against abortion in this land, Lord. And, uh, this job is not finished. In fact, it's far from over. And, Lord, we repent that we have allowed the enemy to come in and gain a, a stronghold in this state, in the state of Michigan, that they have, have forced laws now in effect. Uh, and we know better. We know the enemy's strategies. But, Father, we have not stopped this yet but we will we commit 
to to continue to fight this demon until every abortion devil is chased out of every nation that is stealing your inheritance, Father. Children are yours. Humanity belongs to you. And Father, we just curse the works of darkness right now. They will not prosper. They will not come to pass. We curse this late-term abortion uh, edict in this in this state in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, to give us another chance to get to the ballots and have this thing repealed. Father, we won't just wait and, and see if we can continue to deter women from going into abortion clinics. We're going to do all of it, Father, and we're going to stop this evil. In Jesus' name, we commit to do it, and we thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for giving us insight. Thank you for giving us revelation. Thank you for giving us understanding of how to turn this tide back in our favor, in the favor of life. So, Lord, we thank you for life. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for creating life. And, Lord, thank you for giving us the will and the means to protect life once it's conceived. So we thank you for this, Lord. We bless you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen again. When we do our declaration, I don't have Rona. She don't have me. I can't get Rona. She can't get me. And I thank you, Lord, I don't have, and whatever it is you're fighting, blood pressure, diabetes, whatever it is, pain, we don't have it. It doesn't have us. And, Lord, I thank you that by your stripes we are healed. Amen, amen, and amen again. It's so decreed. Amen. Praise God. Amen.